I will be moderately ticked off if we don't get a valid recording out of either of these. That would be annoying. The cloud is famously temporary and ephemeral. I'm talking, of course, of literal clouds. Yeah, obviously. What do you so, have, Drake, number four? Uh, it's number three, so this number one three? could get a little interesting. What do you into? So uh, more of the stuff that my wife brought back from Whitewater Brewery. This is Blood Moon, Blood Orange Sour. Um, I do have to say that uh, in the in the in the previous probably unaired episode because it was a, a little bit non-standard. Uh, I was drinking pumpkin spice espresso stout. Order? Pumpkin spice porter yeah pumpkin no. spice espresso porter um and i didn't hate it no i had that pumpkin porter a couple weeks back and it was it was okay it's okay i it mean the fine. pumpkin the pumpkin was was a, a like really a very much a background note and it was pleasant at that level so what have you got on the go i am drinking something that actually almost looks similar in terms of logo uh not similar at all in terms of what it is and that is some white claw uh black cherry Claw. Uh, black cherry sparkling hard seltzer. I don't know. Saw something different. It's a recognizable brand name of something I wouldn't normally drink, and I have never had it before. I hear people talking about it all the time, and I'm like, yeah, whatever, I'll get it. Yeah, I I find that quite frequently those seltzers don't have a great deal. Like I prefer um, in your face flavor profiles. Um, Famously, White Claw is a thing that college girls drink uh, because it doesn't taste like, you know, like whiskey, which, quite frankly, if you haven't developed a taste for it, it's awful. Um, I don't I don't mind them. They're not really my bag, but they're I think they're fine. Yeah, it's it's pretty mild. It's it's I, I find them for me. They're almost flavorless. How much alcohol does it actually have? Four and a half, usually five. See, I could see them being dangerous just because you don't don't taste any real alcohol in it. Yeah. And it's the kind of thing you could drink like soda. Yes, you very much can. Um, yeah. Maybe that says something about college girls that we probably don't want to explore. Nope, we absolutely do not. Not anymore. I'm exhausted just just to, like the little bit we've talked about it. I'm exhausted. <laughs> so, we're officially calling it Nerd Fights Round One, a tie. We ended up with the same number of likes, and I think our view count for our videos was within one or two of each other. So not I, enough to declare a winner, and that's probably the perfect way for round one to go. I'm perfectly happy with that. I thought with the both entries were very strong um, in different ways. You cheated, no. and so did I, so it's fine. Now, I need to explain something to our listeners. Vital context, because I'm going to bully you into something. Uh -oh. We just recorded a whole thing about your uh, 
world building and, and a sort of a, a tabletop game setting that you're working on. And you've kind of roped me into helping you out. Absolutely. I don't have a problem with that, but you know, it was sort of a, Hey, I'm volunteering you for this. And yep. you'd be a real dick if you said no. <laughs> well, so, when you frame it like that, that was exactly my intent. <laughs> so with that in mind, I'm proposing, because it's my turn to pick the format for uh, nerd fights. Okay. And the number one item on my list, you would say no to normally. Oh, no. But in the context of, of you've just roped me into something, I'm going to say you can't say no to this. Or you better come up with a very, very good reason for it. I'm old the, and I'm fat and I'm bald. <laughs> doesn't matter. All right. The uh, round one went well. Um, I think the problem with it was that we were almost too good. Like it was in our wheelhouse, you know? And I don't Fair. mean too good as in like we produced something that was amazing. I, I thought they were both quite well done. But I mean, it wasn't a stretch. Like it, it, it was in our comfort zone. That's fair. Which made it pretty easy for us to devote way too much time to it, but also, you know, produce something of, of reasonable quality. Yep. Oh, so you want us to do something bad and embarrassing. All right, bring it on. That's exactly what I want to do. Oh, no. So for those of you that missed round one, uh, we pick a format. Uh, then you're going to contribute with something uh, like content wise, and then I'm going to contribute something else. So you end up mashing things together. Uh, round one, uh, the format that Telson picked was a intro to a D&D one shot or, or small campaign. A little spiel that a, a dungeon master does in, in preparation for uh, kicking off games. Then I said, okay, but let's make it noir detective. And then Telson said, but the world is entirely inhabited by anthropomorphic animals. Furries. And we produced two videos recorded independently, kind of a, a friendly competition with that criteria in mind. And threw them online on our YouTube channel where you guys can watch them and like them. And, and depending on like count and stuff, that's how we choose a winner. And we, we managed to tie. So for nerd fights round two, this is no longer a proposition. This is what we're going to do. Can you guess it? Nope. I you no and I clue. are going to write and record a bard song. Oh, no. So think D&D bards, think Jaskier, Dandelion from The Witcher, one instrument, no cameras. We'll do it over a static screen. You know, let's let's make this one song, three minutes, four minutes. I'm not going to worry about the time limit because you're just going to ignore it anyway. <laughs> I was over by ten seconds, and I was already talking at micro machines level. <laughs> <laughs> so write less, condense, can't, edit. Can't um because it's a more complex thing i'm gonna say let's give ourselves a month to do it so when i say bard music i'm i'm obviously talking about something that's kind of got that sort of minstrelly kind of fantasy bard thing right appropriate for a D, &D bard or appropriate for for 
you know, mm-hmm. anything Bardish. I think we should know what that is. Um, we don't need to like learn to play lutes and, and shit. Like I know you play an acoustic guitar, not very often. It's been years since I've picked mine up really. So that's have, fine for both of us. I, I have, I have a ukulele. It might get utilized. Might get utilized. Oh, I, I bought my wife a, a dulcimer for Christmas uh, a couple of years ago. I might have to use that then if you're going to get into like bard appropriate instrumentation for this. My wife actually has an auto harp. Mm. I used to love playing those. My grandfather had one um, when I was a kid. Um, it's, I, I think it, it is, needs some repair, so it might not get busted out for this. Uh, I would like to say that actually this, this is a little bit closer to in my wheelhouse than you might think. Well, I, I knew it wasn't that big of a stretch. It's more of a, a like comfort level for public consumption stretch than it is, you know, like I know, mm. I, I know you can play. I know you do some songwriting, you know, I know you, you listen to all kinds of interesting shit. I wouldn't be surprised that you're like into bardcore. Do, do you listen to much I, bardcore? I, I have, I have a bardcore channel in my YouTube uh, subscription list. Yeah. yeah. So generally speaking, my understanding of bardcore is more that they take like contemporary-ish music, real songs, and yeah. do arrangements of them that sound like you know, medieval d- d- sort of. D- typically, yeah, it's it's like uh, Metallica. Only we're going to play it on you know with a with a mandolin and a fiddle and a banjo in addition to the you know screaming mm-hmm. guitars and massive drums. But yeah. Mm-hmm. It so, is very cool. If it if it came across that I didn't think it was, I think it's awesome. So what I'm suggesting, though, is that we do original songs okay. in that style. We, we write them, we record them, sing them. Okay. All right. What do you want? So I'm now, I'm now putting this back over to you. So I'm, I assume you're going to pick a, a theme or topic or something for these songs. Well, what do you have in mind? Here's the thing. I think that rather than picking a theme or, or, um, sort of something to narrow the thing down. I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to forbid a couple of things. Okay. Um, so you cannot uh, describe, um, you cannot describe uh, any, any womanly anything. Okay. Be more I'm specific. Talking- uh, so I'm talking about, you know, how it's like her lips were like this and her, her eyes were like this and blah, 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 blah. It can't include any specific reference to, uh, to a woman or, or a girl or, or any female person. Uh, and it cannot describe or be in any way about anything sexual. Oh. Right. This is okay. – this is, this is where the 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 bard thing becomes a little more difficult. So it can't it can't be uh, flowery romance. No romance. No love. No women. Okay, that's interesting because like part of the appeal and charm of of the the bard stuff is I mean it's it tends to be sort of badly poetic. Yes, you know like 
words don't fit together and they almost never rhyme, but it's a, it's a, it's an attempt at sort of flowery Seduction. artful language yes. and it tends to get a little bit body. Right. Right. Like, That's, and that, that is the restriction is it cannot be body. Ooh. <laughs> but I like it. I do. I really like this challenge. Okay. No physical description, no sex, no romance. No romance. All right. So the one thing that most bard songs have is a message. There's mm -hmm. a, a, and in fact, like often the bard music that we think about it 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 tells a story and often has an introduction i'm going to sing you a song about this and there's lessons to be learned as part of this and then at the end of it it sort of wraps it up with here's the message you should have pulled for this and the things you should have learned and you know the pitfalls you should avoid and you know whether it's it's about you know the the pitfalls of love or the you know fall of whatever like Hmm. Bard song, no romance, women love sex. Because there needs to be a message then. I'll say that it needs to be about a person's hubris Ooh. or folly leading to their downfall. That's a very oh. bard-like thing, right? It is, yeah. Like, honestly, if you hadn't have gone with no romance or stuff, and it's, it's perfect that you chose that, mm -hmm. like, I would have said, let's make this about, uh, like, a person seducing a woman that turns into a beast and kills and eats them at the end, you know, like, like a, <laughs> like a succubus or, or something like that, you know, like, cause that would be a sort of an obscene sort of next level take on what would be usual bard content. Yep. So a person's hubris or folly leading to their downfall without romance, relationship, sex, describing women or men from the woman's point of view, I guess that would apply. Yes. Yes, it does. It cannot be body or about romance or love at all. Okay. One instrument, no camera, static-ish display, similar to what we did the last time. Recorded, put on YouTube. Reasonable length. No set time limit, but you know, let's not turn it into. Yeah, it's you know, it's not in a gada da vida. Like yeah. Yeah. Although, if I do choose a drum, there will be a drum solo. Oh, for, for everyone's information, I don't play the drums. Uh, I have my cajon. I could could pull that in there. <laughs> um, and and one more thing. This isn't me like interjecting any any extra shit in here. Okay, I'm just going to reinforce the idea of a bard song. There's a very particular thing here. It's not just a a, a person singing. Like there's there's a very 
Frodo of the Nine Fingers yeah. and the Ring the, of Doom. Yeah. Uh, I think the most sort of re- recent example of bardy-like music that I think everybody's heard at this point is the Toss a Coin to Your Witcher song yes. from The Witcher Season 1. But if you listen to the 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 verses of that song, like it's telling a story about something that's happened and it's using flowery language that that it's not a song like we would write a song today. It is is very much its own thing. And I think whereas we we sort of were subtle in our first challenge in round one about some of the things that we were dealing with, we want to be explicitly bard here. We're writing a okay. like a bardy, minstrelly, flowery that type of language song. I would like to add one little bit of clarification to my, uh, my stipulation about no description of women. Specifically, I mean nothing like, you know, rosy lips and eyes blue like the ocean, yada, yada, yada. It's perfectly fine to describe a woman in a non-sexual romantic way. Sure. You know, like describe your mom fine. You know. Yeah, like if, if you're you're you know, you're talking about, you know, the fellowship of the ring or something like that. Like, you know, yes. these heroes or adventurers that group together and you know their folly led yes. to their downfall. You have to be able to describe these individuals, but the context in which yes. you're describing them is by character not is fine. Yes. It's not a like the physical description isn't there. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay, I dig it. I'm, I'm, I have to say, I'm actually surprised at how little resistance you had to the idea. idea. I think it's a great idea. Okay, I had no idea where that was going, and I love where it ended up. Now I'm excited. All right, do you want to just end (laughs) now and go do it? (laughs) Yeah, let's 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 go do it. No, I think we had some uh, some stuff we actually wanted to talk about. Uh, Before we do, though, let's just wrap up. The, the nerd fights thing. Is there any lessons learned sort of things that you just want to do differently this time? Um, one of the things is definitely to, to start a little bit earlier. I mean, that for me, that was like, I wrote the script the morning of yeah. and like read it and, and pulled all of the things in. Oh, I would, I would like to point out that we should probably have maybe a slightly different tune for each of our things like if you if you watch both of our videos they literally use the same background music well we're 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 not going to be searching for for music for this i assume we're going to yeah. actually noodle our own own songs so we yes. should end up with something different that's going to be hope. similar right like i mean the, yeah you know, the, the the minstrelly kind of bard should only you can only stretch it so many different ways but it would be amusing if we both came up with exactly the same key the same chords and the same timing yeah <laughs> I mean, it's possible, but it would be funny. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, but four weeks, I think. Like, rather than trying to yeah. do this all in a week, I think we get a month. You know, I, I, you probably got to buy strings for your guitar if you're going to use it. <laughs> I, I have, haven't. I have a, I have a package of strings that I'm not sure <laughs> if they're any good. They've been sitting in the case now for seventeen years, uh, maybe five years. I mean, I do, I do noodle around on my guitar like a couple of times a week, but. Oh, well, then you pick it up more than I do. So you might actually have an advantage. I might. I um, picked it up for about a week. Just like all told, it was maybe, maybe a half an hour of actually playing. 
before that staff event that we had that was going to turn into a jam session in the summer. And then yeah. I put it and put it back in the bag, brought it home, and it is sitting in the same spot that I put it down. Like Evan, even put I need it back to in storage. Uh, actually, somewhere over there, I'm, I have a bunch of guitar hooks. You couldn't you couldn't see it uh, in the in the old place because they actually hung on the wall mm-hmm. here. But I have I have a, a 1980s Mako, which is a Japanese Fender Telecaster ripoff, mm-hmm. which apparently is a really expensive guitar. I don't know. I bought it when I was 18 for like 50 bucks. Um, I have a Stratocaster, which I have since learned is a fake because uh, the serial number has too many digits in it. Um, I have my acoustic guitar. I have my mom's acoustic guitar, which is in tune on any given string, but never all of the strings at the same time. And the neck has a significant twist in it. But I mean, it's my mom's old guitar, right? So it's, mm-hmm. it hangs on the wall. And I have a mandolin, which has someone else's name on it. <laughs> Or sorry, not a mandolin. Uh, uh, Tiny Tim and Tiptoe Through the Tulips. Uh, what the heck is it called? I just said it a second ago. Tiny, tiny four-string guitar. Ukulele. Ukulele. Good lord, I might, I might be a little drunk. <laughs> I am under the influence. Let's nerd. All right. Well, let's talk about some video games. I used to be an adventurer like you. Stay a while and listen. I have a whole thing here, but before I get into it, I would like to hear how things are going with you in your playthrough, uh, your 17th half playthrough of Baldur's Gate 3. 18th. I started again. <laughs> I couldn't... He, okay, so here's the thing. I would like to... Um, Praise the voice actors who have done the characters in Baldur's Gate. I got to the point where I was able to uh, get to the the sort of climactic romance scene with Carlac, and it felt so real. I had to because Cindy was traveling at the time. I actually had to call my wife and apologize. <laughs> I'm like, I okay. Like I phrased it like this. I'm, and she listens to this, by the way. She doesn't listen to all of the episodes, but she she does occasionally listen to these, so she might be listening. So once again, honey, I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> because it felt so real. It literally felt like I was cheating on my wife. Um, so I started I started another playthrough because honestly, I wasn't quite happy with my avatar either. Um, I know you can respec, so the class thing wasn't wasn't the wasn't a problem it was like i was unhappy with my avatar so i went back and started again this time i'm going through as a bard and basically doing everything that lazelle will like um i would like to say that i am upset that my playthrough is bugged and i cannot cure uh lazelle's infirmity after she gets debuffed permanently it's not really a big deal the intelligence and the wisdom i don't really care about it's not not super important, but the constitution debuff is just a kick in the nads, you know? So you made it far enough in that previous playthrough then to deal I, with... Carlax issue? Yeah. Uh, well, Lazelle, right? The the. She's the... Maybe I'm confusing. Yeah. No, no, no. But you, you were talking yeah. about her, her debuff. Oh, yeah. I got... I, got, I did so the crash. You, 
Okay. I, I I got to I, I got to the towers on my previous playthrough. Um and this playthrough I have just finished the crash mm-hmm. and I'm about to go into the underdark. I'm playing on tactician this time too because I found that the combat was just a hair too easy. Um and I'm still not finding it really hard. Like once you once you lean into not hoarding potions and scrolls right like there's lots of stuff it's it's just like there's so many options um it, it's a really great game i'm enjoying it a ton i'm probably playing like two or three hours most nights i'm at uh, i'm on it's not not my 18th playthrough but it might be the third time i've gone all the way through most of act one um and this one i'm on 32 or 33 hours so in your playthroughs of Act One, aside from your character stuff and interactions with your party members, have you chosen significantly different paths for handling things like the the Goblin Stronghold and? Um, not significantly. No, I've done some things in slightly different order. Um, I have killed some people that I negotiated with previously. Um, I've intimidated some people that I previously sort of tried to persuade. Um, so I've, I've sort of come to the same, uh, the same conclusion in a lot of interactions, uh, but gotten, gotten to that point mm-hmm. slightly differently. There's a lot of things that are kind of like illusion of choice, right? Like, do you persuade them or do you intimidate them? Mm-hmm. Um, and it might have impacts later. I don't know, but a lot of times you end up at the same point in the, uh, in the conversation, regardless of how you get there, as long as you succeed on the check. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's there's a few things, and there's a few interactions that have been slightly different, right? There's there's I think that there's a little bit of randomness in there in the reaction you get from people sometimes. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the things that I have I have discovered is that you can skip every vase, like you literally might find like a gold piece in a vase, like one out of a thousand of them. Yeah, I got to the point where generally. Um... If I, didn't, if I didn't see text when I hit the alt key and I just like hold alt as I was walking around, if it didn't have text yet, it was something I could open. I'd never bothered like all the wooden crates and all the generally it seemed like if it had something in it that was worth looking at. And I'm sure that I missed some some interesting you... Easter eggs or some interesting yes. items that, you know are intentionally hidden and there is a reward for people that literally loot everything. But I I don't feel like I missed anything that lessened my experience. Probably not. So there's a few, the, most of the sort of things that I've found by looking in strange places and, and looting everything were uh, references to the first or second game. Mm-hmm. Um, and most of the ones to the second to, to Baldur's Gate two go right over my head because I literally never played it. I got to the point I think of character creation even the first time I played Baldur's Gate two. Um, I still do. Once I finish with this, I'm probably going to go back and play uh, Baldur's Gate one and two again because I've never finished either of them. And as I just said, I've never really even played Baldur's Gate two. Um, it's interesting to see, like, to know the little bits of what I know about how it finishes. Mm-hmm uh from this game i had i mean i had seen spoilers before as well but it's a great game it's fun but you have a thing i do have a thing uh i've been playing starfield 
and the TLDR, it's okay. Yeah. But the, the discussion here is, I wish I hadn't just played Baldur's Gate 3. <laughs> or I wish I hadn't recently done a playthrough of Cyberpunk. Or, you know, like if, if I just played Starfield... And I hadn't played, like if it was, I don't know, 2014 and I was playing Starfield or what would have been possible uh, to play that was as close to this as possible, I'd be like, this is a pretty amazing game. But the bar has been raised so much and, and it opens up sort of an interesting discussion about like when did pretty good become not good enough? Recently, I think. Um, like, I remember playing games, like, we used to just play games because, hey, I haven't played this game yet back in the yep, day. We and, did, a lot of them. And we'd be like, oh, hey, you know what? This game is pretty good. It's It's got some obvious flaws, and, and there's some things I don't like about it, and it's not as good as this other game. But, yeah, it's 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 pretty good. And, and I'm enjoying it. And I don't want to say that I'm not enjoying my playthrough of Starfield, but having just played Baldur's Gate 3 and, and recently another playthrough of Cyberpunk and um, Hell, The Witcher 3 even. Like, so going back to, to 2015. I mean, that is the game, I think, that really raised the bar for me. And it's it's some subtle, trivial things, right? Obviously, quality voice acting and, and mocap. Um, you know, when, when you have conversations and, and with your main sort of characters, the side characters and stuff, whether it's Keanu Reeves or, or whatever. In Cyberpunk, like, there's mocap work that's done. The, the, if you remember how the old Bethesda games like Skyrim and, and Oblivion and even more wind work. Like you'd have a, a conversation, you'd start a conversation, and then zoop, camera moves. You just got a, a a head right in front of you. You're looking straight on, and it starts talking. And the the rigging on the 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 it isn't mocap. Like it's just it's very clearly just sort of some basic rigging that is kind of doing its thing with the words. It's it's timed well. Like it isn't you know it doesn't look like you're watching a dubbed movie or anything, but it just clearly lacks the the appropriate expressiveness and and subtle the things eyes. like just cinematic camera angles. Like I, I think about Mass Effect, like even the first game, but especially the second one. So much could be achieved by just taking that camera that is behind me and just going, yeah, or and just, hey, actually, you know what? Let's just move it here and let's have the character just not stand straight up and talk to you like this. They're leaning on something. They're leaning uh, on something. They, they've, they've got their hand on something. Their hands are on their waists. They're, you know, they're moving. They're walking. We're having a conversation while we're walking. Like, those things don't happen in Starfield. And again... If I hadn't played the superior games where this shit happens, like Witcher 3 and Hell Horizon Zero Dawn. Um, the conversations in Horizon Zero Dawn were really good. Yeah. And I, I wouldn't 
I wouldn't notice it as much, but because I have, I do. And the dialogue is another thing that's just. <laughs> do you remember a game called It Came from the Desert? Uh, I remember the title. I'm not sure that I ever played it. Um, it was it was a game. It came out on the PC, um, but I played it on Amiga, and it was actually something that was in our. Oh God, I want to say grade ten or eleven art class. Mm-hmm. Simply because it was an example of what you can do with digital art, um, and it was like. There was a thing that you got when you we bought the Amiga 500. It was like, you know, Face Painter 5000 or something. And it had these sort of um, proto faces. It was almost like a, a sketch artist kind of program, mm-hmm. right? Where you've got like, here's a skull and you can sort of change the shading around the eyes to make them deeper and so on and so forth. But there's no eyes there. It's just like skinless face, right? Like nightmare face. No mm-hmm. mouth, no nose, no, no, just sort of like fleshy lumps. And then you'd say, well, put these eyes on it. We'd go, boop, and it would put them in the right place, and you can do... And it was very much like a character creator from a modern game. Mm-hmm. Um, but it came from the desert, used that art in the game. Uh, and the reason that it came to mind is because you're talking about um, the difference between mocap and, and not. And this was literally... You could see that this was from that sort of face sculptor program. And when people were talking... There was like sort of four positions that their mouth could go in, right? It was like open or it was O or it was like, you know, tongue hitting the teeth or a, a little bit of a smile. And there, there, it would just cycle through these four things and sort of like morphing stuff. It was a great game, by the way. It was, mm-hmm. you know, Ants Invade from the Desert or whatever. And th- there, was, there was a bunch of similar games. Like it came from space, but they were all basically like Space, ca- space Quest or King's Quest or or whatever you know click on a on a thing and like i remember it being very good i don't want to go back and play it again because it will end up being very bad but anyway not not super important but the sort of standing there and just talking dialogue and writing is so important and larian did such a good job with Baldur's gate 3 there's there's some stuff that just doesn't make sense because mm-hmm. like the dialogue tree is just way too big um, but most of the things it's like oh that's an interesting response yeah, I mean, it, it feels like you're talking to a person, a person like fleshed out people. What I find with Starfield and, and again, I'm enjoying playing the game. So th- these are more than nits. You know, these are what take a game that's like, yeah, it's fine. It's, you know, it's, it's pretty good to, to mm-hmm. could have been excellent. But the dialogue, I don't know if they just maybe they they were understaffed and they had their quest writers and quest designers also write the character dialogue like that's what it feels like honestly it actually feels like they they had all of the dialogue for all of the characters written by a 10-year-old with like an adult level vocabulary oh no like it it's it's I know AI would actually do it better. Like I know it's not done by AI because AI would actually do it better. Does it it sound like conversations in Piers Anthony books? The only uh, Anthony books I've read were the incarnations of immortality. And that's some of the better stuff. 
So mm-hmm. like I didn't read a lot of Xanth or, or any of the other stuff. So I maybe like it just I was intentionally going to in one of my campaigns create characters that spoke like this and the reason for it is they were going to be aliens they were going to be um i think i've told you about it before and that little mass effect inspired Uh sort of it was uh, wasn't going to be a one shot it was going to be sort of a little mini camping thing but we kind of abandoned it i was going to create a fictional race of aliens called the neil breen (laughs) <laughs> they were based on like they were all Neil Breens. And the reason for it is the way I described Neil oh. Breen is imagine something trying very, very, very hard to act and sound like a human being, a human being, but not quite pulling it off. And that's a good description of Neil Breen. Right. Oh man. Like, there's, there's, there's a lizard or an insect under that skin somewhere. And he's, he's almost like, you Sugar know, in water. Yeah. More. But you, you might convince <laughs> some people, but he hasn't convinced me. I don't think he's human. That's what that's what a lot of the, the character dialogue in this feels like. It's juvenile in some ways, and not juvenile enough. Like there's there's another game that you obviously compare uh this game to, and that's No Man's Sky. Uh, just because it was a sort of a big space game and like it was incredibly juvenile like it actually the first playthrough i struggled with it a bit but they leaned into it and then it was like okay well it's kind of kind of charming i guess in its own way where you know this game is basically no man's skyrim and okay but it's in that weird mushy middle ground where it's trying to explore some sort of adultish themes but do it in a way that doesn't feel adult and and there's a sort of naivete and and just sort of an unearned kind of weird trust thing that just has saturated everything so far in this game and i don't know i'm like 10 or 15 hours into it but it's just weird and then the the structure of the things like it it's it's like they have a bucket list. And again, this is why I wonder if it was the, the quest designers that actually wrote the dialogue, because it's like, you can tell that they want this to happen and this to happen and this to happen. And like, as long as you hit the right dialogue prompt, it happens. And it's kind of annoying. You know, you, you start, and I'm not going to, no big spoilers here. Um, but, you know, you start the game and, and you're like a miner, right? And you find this artifact and then typical sort of video gamey thing something happens you get visions kind of like when you find the the prothean beacon in the first mass effect game mm-hmm. you don't know what they mean and then somebody else who was spying the artifact comes down and he sees that it's affected you and he's like you're my best friend now why don't you take my spaceship and join this organization that i'm 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 in you know it's just like fuck, i'm a miner You've known me for 30 seconds. You're giving me your spaceship, which is worth a bajillion credits. Why? Why would a human being do any of this? And then I go to the organization and they're just like, oh, you're the newest member of the team. And here's a key to our lodge. And it's what? Again, it's just like how a child would almost write stuff like uh, just watch the the Red Letter Media uh, episode on Pee Wee's Big Adventure. Yep. And and one of the things in, about that movie is like 
it's a fantasy world that's a little bit weird as if it was written from the perspective of a child where you just got this really, really weird dude, but everybody loves him. And and the whole world is appropriate for, for this sort of it's through the lens of, of Peewee. It's it's through the lens of Peewee's perception of the world, and he thinks everybody loves him, so everybody loves him. Right. And and this that, almost that's... feels like that, except that you don't have Peewee. It's well, it's it, it it sounds an awful lot like like when a kid writes a story, it's almost like wish fulfillment. Right. Like there's those those things on the um, on the Internet where, you know, I, like it's they're on. Is it 4chan with the green text and the red text? And you've got um, Frogman. What the hell's his name? Pepe. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, on the sides like, you know, Beanie, blah, blah, blah. Standing in line at so and so. And then I said something and everybody clapped. Mm-hmm. Right. It has that same kind of vibe where it's like everything that I do is awesome. Yeah. And. I could you I could live with it. that. I could live with that. But then they do things and again, this isn't a real spoiler. There's one sort of quest with one of the characters in this organization that you get tangled up with where you gotta go to his home planet and he's kind of a cowboy. And you learn in getting there that you're gonna have to talk to his father, but he's had a falling out that's going, you know, decades and decades back. They hate each other, they don't talk to each other, it's a rift that, you know. But you need something that he has. So cowboys, yeah. So we go there and they immediately start snipping at each other, right? Like, oh, blah, blah, you know, I'm not going to get this map. I'm not, just get out. I'm never going to give it to you. So then you have a conversation with your cowboy and he's like, well, I don't know what we're going to do. We'll have to figure something out. One of my options in dialogue is, well, I can talk to him if you'd like. Okay, well, I thought there, there's the persuasion mechanic in this game. And, but you've set up this history of enmity between these two characters. Like, it's not something that I can just say, hey. You, you should get along now. Yeah. And I go and I talk to, to his dad and I literally say one or two of the persuasion options. And he's like, fine, just take the map. And then we leave. Like, it isn't like there's more there. Like, I could accept that if that was part one of... A whole bunch of things that had to go on here but it was like i had this conversation he's like fine just take the map and get out of here and it's like i guess we're done here now like yeah <laughs> it's yeah it's it's a weird kind of a thing one of the things that they harp on uh, on red letter media a lot is uh is set up and payoff right and for a long time i had an issue with that right like i i feel like in any kind of complex story, it's fine to set things up that never pay off as long as they're not, you know, nudge, nudge, wink, wink. I'm setting something up here. Right. Uh, but it's not something that you want to do with big like because that that sounds like a like a plot point. Right. You would think that, OK, well, you know, his, his, they don't they don't get along. But at some point in the in the like we have to come back to that. We have to, okay, now he's proven himself and his dad's grudgingly accepting. And then they go on an adventure together and the the you know, the treasure is the friends we made along the way or something, yeah. right? You yeah. figure that, that that's what a story is. And like maybe some of that will happen later, but it, the way it's set up right now, it's very much like we went to this planet for a reason that had nothing to do with his dad. We realized the thing that we were coming for 
his dad anticipated that we might want it, so we took it. And now we got to deal with his dad. And I had one call conversation that basically said, yeah, but you're being a bit of a dick, aren't you? And he's like, fine, take the map. And it's like, get out. I don't ever want to see you again. And, 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 and that's it. Like there was no, no development of what was set up. Why go to the trouble of setting that stuff up? Like, you know, when you do set up and pay off, it isn't, I set something up and then I immediately pay it off. No, agreed. But and there's there's times when when setups I think should be written. It comes into uh, this this sort of uh, leads into some of the things that we've talked about uh, with with table talk as well. Um, and there, there's two things here: is that number one, like you're foreshadowing something maybe, uh, but number two is like what are the consequences if you fail? Mm -hmm. Right. So what if, what if you're unable to convince his dad to give you the map and that as you say it might be that the quest writers are writing the dialogue because it's like you you have to fail forward here you need this mm -hmm. map to progress or the story doesn't happen so like is it a is it a make the persuasion roll or the story's over ah uh, i guess he gives you the map no matter what and 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 there's i ran into you know i i, I made the mistake maybe it wouldn't be so bad if i'd chosen a different character but i thought you know what like i will have a, a like a charming sort of space not not scoundrel like i'm not going to play somebody who's potentially a bad guy or even like a malcolm reynolds type character but i wanted to have that sort of space cowboyish charm right so there there was right. a particular thing that i could choose where it's like i have you know a, a bit of a bonus to persuasion Kind mm -hmm. of like playing a bard in D and D, right? And there's another completely like it's all part of this main quest line. But there's another series of of quests where, like after everything felt really easy, like go to this point, talk to this guy, then go talk to this guy, then go get this one thing. Like simple scavenger hunt. There was another quest series where it's like they almost in a meta way were like, yeah, this is going to be easy, and then it you know everything falls apart almost calling attention to the fact that the rest of the quests that I've done have been kind of linear shit at this point. And you end up in a, in a situation where you're having to sneak into somebody's building or you got to convince your way to, to, to talk to them or something. It's like a competitive business dude. And I went to the receptionist and, you know, in a hundred plus persuasion -y type checks I've done, it's the only time I've ever failed where it's like, I've got a meeting, he's expecting me, and I failed. And she said, nope, you can't see him. And then, like, there's a door to a security office right beside her. And as I walk past the door, I see the little thing for executive security badge or something like that. That's just going to get me in to see him, like, right there. It's like, failed, failed my persuasion check. Plan B. Like it could have just had a sign like plan B right above it. Right? <laughs> like there was no, Oh shit. What do I do now? It was literally, Oh, Hey, there's a door there. Oh, there's, um. there's some, there's some amount of, of like, I wonder sometimes, uh, like, for example, I'm finding the com like I've, I've, I, I joined the Baldur's gate subreddit. I'm not sure if that was a good idea. Um, but I see a lot of complaints about how, oh, God, the combat is so hard. Like, I'm playing on regular, and I'm getting wiped, you know, like, often. And I'm thinking, like, do you, how? 
right? Like I'm playing on Tactician and it's To be easy. fair, I imagine most of these people have progressed through, you know, part of the game. Uh, yeah, well, that's true. Yes. I, and that was that was actually my next point is that you can actually do things like mm -hmm. skip enough things that you're underleveled for where you're going. Um, but I also well, wonder. It wasn't even the underleveling. It's just that, like, the the significance of the environment in a lot of the the, the yeah. player content leads to a lot of the challenge in combat in Baldur's Gate three. Like, you can just be be hosed by placement of your characters when combat starts. Like, you I you definitely ran into a lot of situations where it's like, oh, it's in combat. Oops. I've got one one person that's you know high up in the initiative order, and you can't do much. And then three people are being shoved over a cliff or, or, you know, something to that effect. Yeah, there is a little there. The, that's the one thing about Baldur's Gate 3 that I don't like is that there's a little bit too much bonus action, instant death. Right. Yeah. Like shove is a bonus action. And I don't have a problem with that. That makes combat a little bit more interesting sometimes. Um, there's been a couple of times where I've set something on fire and then had three successive characters push a boss into the fire. <laughs> it's like push not far enough push not far enough push now they're on fire um uh what was i gonna say but i wonder how much of this is like there are like i especially see this now with a lot of tv shows is that people are writing and probably designing games for the lowest common denominator because and i don't i don't mean this to sound gatekeepery but like you have to make sure that everyone can get there, right? Which means that reasonably clever people like yourself are going to see that and go, oh, okay, well, this is how I, I get there from here. And there are people who will miss that. Yeah, and, and... And is there a plan C? Like that's really, look for plan C. Does that exist? That might be a little bit more challenging. Yeah, and I just, I mean, that one particular instance, maybe I can forgive that. That Like, that certainly hasn't been, because I've been nailing most of my persuasion checks, I haven't noticed a lot of that, oh, my persuasion check didn't work. I guess it doesn't matter because plan B's right there beside you. That was just the one instance that really, really stood out for me where it's just, oh, you're not going to let me into his office, but his office key is right there. You know, Yoink. pay no attention to me. Yeah. So I, I don't know. I it's 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 weird. Like I, I noticed going back to the, the first Mass Effect game, I started before I got into Baldur's Gate. Uh, I started partway into Legendary Edition of Mass Effect. And I realized how much of that game I looked back through like rose tinted nostalgia goggles oh yeah like it's still an amazing game but some of the mechanics of questing in particular now stand out as there's a lot of go to a location talk to one person once about a thing and now you can leave that location and go to another location and get one item and then leave that location yeah and now that first Mass Effect game re released on the original Xbox, like that's what two thousand and seven. I don't know when it came out. the The game itself, but I don't know. Like before it's, we had electricity, I like, think I can forgive the first Mass Effect, and and the later games in the Mass Effect series were a lot better. 
What Starfield, ironically enough, reminds me a lot of is Mass Effect Andromeda, which is a game that a lot of people really didn't like. Again, not because it was a terrible game. It had launch issues and, you know, weirdness, kind of like almost any game does. But it was a game that was sort of rushed to completion. There was some studio drama. It They had sort of this big thing in mind and they had to scale it way back and, and yada, yada, yada. Um, if I'd never played a Mass Effect game and played Mass Effect Andromeda, I would have gone into that game and said, you know what, that's a really good game. Yeah, not great, but okay. more than good enough. But I've played Mass Effect 2. I've played Mass Effect 3. So the fact that it was a Mass Effect game hurt it. And the fact that it was like, we're going to do something new. We're going to a different galaxy. We're not, you know, it's not the heroes that you're used to from this trilogy. This is the spinoff. Like that hurt it oh, in and of yeah. itself. But then the fact that it, you know, didn't deliver on the high bar that was set changed how you perceived the game. You know, I think honestly, like if it hadn't have been called Mass Effect, most people would have played it and said, yeah, it was pretty good. You know, I'm, I, but in a in the the context of having just played Baldur's Gate three, having experienced Cyberpunk, and a lot of people, you know, didn't like how Cyberpunk launched, but it was still a still a really good game, and what it did well, it nailed. I I didn't have any problems really with Cyberpunk, honestly. Oh I mean, no, they're just the silly bugs. stuff, right? Bugs, yeah. the the incomplete systems, like you know how the police worked and. You know, the the one thing that like stands out to a... me in cyberpunk is like you you're walking in these these busy streets that are completely empty. You know, like there's there's people moving around, but there's nothing to do. There's all of these doors that are actual objects in the game that you can tell at some point in their plan there was something that was supposed to be here because it's not just wall texture. It's a door that when you hover over it says locked, but you just can't unlock it and do anything with it. You know, and their original promise was was this this big sort of thing where around every corner there was there was something that you could do, and and I mean that could still happen, maybe, but probably not. No, it's, the the return on investment is not enough for the money, guys. Um, I would like to say that the streets in my cyberpunk game were quite crowded. Crowded, yes, of people, lots of lots of duplicate people, crowded, oh, yes. but nothing to do. You, you weren't interacting with them. You know, you could walk up and down a full street. There would be no quest stuff. There'd be no items. There's just there's shit going I, on around you, but it's window dressing, you know. And and that's oh, that's not necessarily bad. Uh, I would like to to say though that I wonder if the idea of video games as quest simulators is played out and we need something some new kind of idea about what video games are because there's there's so many and and like there's really like how many different kinds of quests are there i think i think there's like three you know uh go talk to a person go get a thing which are almost the same quest or escort this person from here to there so there's like there's mm -hmm. there's like uh you know there's talk there's delivery and there's delivery of people, right? Or kill a thing, I guess, is another another mm -hmm. one. But they're all they're all the, the, basically the same thing. Like, go here and do a thing. Come back and tell me you've done it. Mm -hmm. um, and I wonder if there isn't if it isn't time for some other idea. 
And there are other genres, right? Like yes, you have your, your sure. rogue and roguelites, you have your platformers, you have like, you know, nobody complained about a Mario game. Not, you know, and I think actually the, oh. the newest one came out, like actually has quests and shit. But like, you know, they're, they're, it's just an example off the top of my head of a game where it's like, I don't have a narrator telling me, go here, get this thing, do this thing. I'm just kind of set down in the world. I have sort of a, an objective, right? Find the princess or whatever. And yep. I just keep going until I do it. And in the, the meantime, I've got all of these sort of immediate challenges as platformers yep. tend yep. to have that. Yeah. And, and I don't know, like in, I don't know how you can do a role-playing game differently. I don't either. I'm, no. I'm not. I'm not saying that. Like, oh, in a they way that is technically way. feasible. Like, you know, the the issue when I say technically feasible, like in real life, I can you know interact Make with the world up. without objectives, right? I can go have random conversation with a random person if I so choose. I don't need anything to do there. There's nothing prompting me to do it. It's just like, oh. There's a guy. Let me talk to them. See what they have to say. Kill a couple of hours. But un unless you're like completely procedurally generating with like AI and shit the entire game, there's just no way as a developer you can no. build that game, right? No, no, no. For certain, not that. But I, I'm, I'm just wondering because I mean, we went from, you know, eat, eat little yellow dots and run away from ghosts, to have conversations with people about what kind of stuff they want you to fetch um right and there's there's a there's a shift in like what 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 does it mean to be a game mm -hmm. and i wonder if we're not due for another one of those where suddenly we go from okay well we had platformers and then we had shooters and like first person because remember like i remember when first person shooter was like a holy cow you know mm -hmm. they were they were um uh what the heck is it uh, Wolfenstein clones or, or, uh, doom clones. They were all doom mm -hmm. clones. Uh, and, and now it's, it's basically like they're all Zelda clones. And I mean, I'm not all, but you know what I mean? Like we have, yeah. we have all these RPGs that are, are that style of game. I wonder if it's time for someone out there to go, Hey, what if we did this instead? Yeah. And I wonder if there's room for that because I wonder it, if there's like, there, there's games that innovate. There's some games that, have some really neat shit going on. Uh, they tend to be indie games and almost yes. nobody plays them, uh, which probably speaks to maybe the general mass does not want that style of game. They want, I you think know, they might, they but want Madden 2023 and 2024 they do. and they want, they do, you know, but a lot Call of, of that Duty is 72. That's, that's what, uh, the, what would you call them? Uh, the producer uh, type thing. Ah, what's the, my brain is not processing words anymore. Um, you have the developer and then you have the people who, who actually send the game out. Like Microsoft doesn't actually yeah. make games. They, they publish them. Studios do the development and then you have the publishers that do the publishing. Yeah. So like the publishers aren't, aren't going to publish games that don't have, a massive return and the massive return comes a lot of times by advertising things and generating hype for it like the amount of hype that came out for cyberpunk is is largely responsible i think for people's 
for all, most of the negative reaction that people had to it was like cause the hype for it was just unreal and mm-hmm. the game was fine like there was nothing wrong with the game uh, i didn't live up to the hype because nothing can i mean sex doesn't live up to that much hype so video games are not going to mm-hmm. but i'll ask you a couple of questions what game are you playing now Baldur's Gate 3. What game did you play before Baldur's Gate 3? Um, I think I was playing Cyberpunk before that. Like the, don't get me wrong, the AAA games are 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 good, right? I'm not going to suggest Well, I'm not even talking shouldn't. AAA. I'm I'm just talking about, you know, you have a particular type of game that you like to play. The the quest stuff that you're suggesting we maybe I, need I, to find an alternative for, like seventy six years like of playing EverQuest. Oh, I mean, EverQuest does not have quests it's, in it. It's contrary right in the, to name. the name. It's yeah, but no, you don't I do don't. quests. You literally just go out and kill goblins until your thing goes ding, or until it drops a shiny. Um, and I'm not suggesting that quests are played out or wrong or bad or anything. No, no, you just. I'm thinking like it's it's like it we're due for a massive innovation. Mm-hmm. That's all. And you're right, indie games are definitely doing it, but but uh AAA has definitely fallen into the same thing that Hollywood has, which is well, we we need to bring back the A team because that was popular. Well, yeah, and it's uh, I actually just watched a, a Chris Stuckman video uh talking about was it Crater, a new movie that just came out um Gareth Edwards, the the guy that directed Rogue One and and supposed to be a pretty good movie, but you know, the one thing that people complain about is it feels like a million other things that have been done. And uh, you know, the reason for that is is this is a movie that costs more than ten dollars to make. And the only way you're gonna get that money to make that movie is to do something that you can make the sales pitch to the studio. Well, this you is know, gonna make a billion yeah. dollars. Yeah, because the last ten people that did it made a billion dollars. Yep. You know? Yeah. It's it's tough to take a risk in Hollywood. And same thing. I mean, like, I have no idea how many development hours went into Baldur's Gate three, but I'll bet you it's on the order of millions of person hours. Oh I, I don't doubt that for a moment. Yeah. Like double digit millions even. It, yeah. Yeah, potentially. Because I mean, how long were they working on it? I remember hearing rumors about it like four or five years ago. Uh, well, the early access I think came out in 2020. Okay, so so at uh, least two or was, three years prior to that. Yeah, so it's it's been in the works for a while. Uh, it's probably been uh, well, basically since they wrapped Divinity Original Sin too. They've they've probably been going in on it pretty hard. But, I mean, there's a story of them just, like, they could have gone to Hasbro and say, hey, can you help us fund this game? And dealt with Hasbro saying, yeah, but we want you to do this. And yeah, but we want you to do that. They're like, nope, nope. We're just, we're going to buy the license and we're going to do what we want to do. You have no decision-making power here. We've, we've, we've bought the license. Mm-hmm. We're making this game our way. We're, we're, we're distributing it ourselves where we're you know like it's, it's distributor that's the word i was looking for earlier okay. yeah it's um so you know they they didn't have to make those compromises but what a risk uh one of the interesting things that came out a couple weeks back a bunch of the 
content that was submitted to the FTC um, with the, the, the shit going on about Microsoft uh, buying or acquiring acquisition Blizzard King. Uh, some old documents that was just doing like Microsoft projections and Baldur's Gate 3 came up when they were looking at games to consider um, buying exclusive rights for or, or trying to trying to make like Game Pass games or, or what have you. And they looked at Baldur's Gate 3 and they said, that's like third tier Google Stadia shit. Like that's that's never going to going to turn into anything. And just goes to show you like i've i've dealt with c-suite executive type people and i'll tell you what when they're right they're right they're wrong way more often than they're right mm-hmm. but you know what i would not have guessed as a person who like baldur's gate 3 is aimed at me i am the target demographic for this game i play dungeons mm-hmm. and dragons i used to play RPG games like this. I've played the first two. I'm amazed the game is as popular as it is because it is everything that modern games isn't. Nobody it's does slow. turn-based. Nobody does turn-based anymore. Oh Even the God, games that it. were notoriously turn-based, like Final Fantasy, have totally gone away from from being turn-based, especially with the like last three or four years. It is like a D&D RPG which you know like none of that is has really taken yeah. off it is D&D flavored it very much has the vibe of Dungeons and Dragons without the hardcore rule set and there's there's a lot of custom items in it that that really bend the okay but you know it is economy. it but is yeah you're right it, it is yes. more in the spirit of D&D than any game Legends that's of come the before Coast. Well, then, then fuck even Neverwinter Nights, right? Like, Neverwinter Nights borrowed some of the combat mechanics, and that was mostly it. You know, some settings, some, some, some world stuff, but, like, it was all surface level. You know, the fact that the other half of the system stuff that Larian managed to, to work it into the game in a way that, like, felt worthwhile, that, you know, things like disguise self and hell doing persuasion checks and... And Minor all illusion. of that kind of shit, illusions like a game like Neverwinter Nights or or whatnot would have looked at that and said, okay, well, there's these 15 spells that we're just not going to use because you can't do those in a video game. Larian was like, actually, yeah, you can. And yeah, we had to make some adjustments here and there or whatever, but they, they magic tried and mostly, out. yeah, well rightly so yeah but they 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 tried and mostly succeeded and then made the calls that they needed to make to to i i agree i i would i would actually make the case that some of the things that they changed for Baldur's Gate 3 need to make their way into the tabletop game yeah um shove as a bonus action no it's fun in a video game in the tabletop no hey do you want to do some more table talk Let's do table talk. I originally had some topics here that I actually removed from the document. And then I saw that you wrote a bunch of stuff in. 
Uh, I don't know about a, a bunch of stuff, but I have a, a couple of things. And uh, seeing as we're a, a Baldur's Gate 3 podcast, we should probably uh, continue talking about the things in Baldur's Gate 3 that I really like and want to bring into the tabletop idea of Dungeons & Dragons. And one of the things is the items that have synergies with player abilities. Um, one of the major sort of conflicts that people have about especially about fifth edition is the idea that um like spellcasters have all of this utility they can do all of these things uh and the martial characters don't really have that much stuff to do and i don't i don't know if that's a fair criticism or not like it certainly hasn't been an issue in any game that i've dm'd or played in um i i can see it though Right, right. Like, you know, people will put forward cases and I'm like, okay, yeah, that's, that's fair. Um, but there's a lot of stuff that, that Larian has put into Baldur's Gate 3 where it's like, when you make an attack, this happens and then you get lightning charges and then these other things happen. And if you dash, you can do this. And if you jump, you can do that. Um, and it makes things a little bit more complicated. Um, to go back to a, a defense of fourth edition, there were a lot of things in fourth edition that made sense. Mm-hmm. Everybody had stuff to do. Um, everything felt a little bit samey, right? It was like everybody has the same ability with slightly different flavor text. Um, but there's something to be said for that as well, right? Where everyone can do a little bit of everything. And, and maybe some people are a little better at some things than others, but everybody can try it, mm-hmm. right? Um, so yeah, that's that's the point I have there. Yeah, and I like the idea that, you know, in the the game they they there was a lot of items that felt like they were very very specifically aimed at very very specific builds. And if you weren't using them, then, you know, they were basically junk. You know, if it's early enough in the game, you can you can feed them to one of your companions, but otherwise, yeah, you know, <laughs> yes specifically feed them to one of your companions uh and what i would say with that if you're dungeon master is don't be afraid of homebrewing stuff i know that there's a lot of dms and gms out there that just it's by the book if you want items it's it's got to exist in the source material and they don't they don't deviate from that when they're when they're doling stuff out and you know you're going to do a certain amount of that but i think it's important to look at what your characters are and 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 what they're trying to be and give them stuff that is uniquely theirs whether it enhances their specific abilities whether it just adds flavor that's uniquely theirs that you know make it more than a piece of gear yeah make it make it story relevant ideally Yeah, and and now you have to walk some fine lines, right? Like what you don't want to do is give a going back to the martial versus caster and utility thing. What you don't want to do is take that one martial character and have them all of a sudden making somebody else in that party irrelevant or redundant, right? Yeah. Like you can't give them something that then makes another character feel less special. Right. So you, you have to make the appropriate decisions, but give them something that does cool shit that gives them utility. There's no reason that, you know, your martial character can't be wielding a sword that has 
a unique magic effect that maybe isn't even strictly speaking combat. You know, it's not doing more damage because it also does 2d6 fire if you hit or anything like that. Like it could have an effect. It could have an effect where it's confusing somebody or this item can be used to allow you to charm a person or, you know, or something. Like you don't you don't have to make something up out of whole cloth either. You could just like look at the spells that you want to like I want to give a character a different way about doing this wizard shit. You know, you don't even have a wizard in your party. There's a whole bunch of stuff that only wizards can do. Why don't you look at some of that and be like, "Oh. Well, what if this person found an artifact that allowed them to do that with certain constraints or whatever?" If if you if you make a flourish motion with your sword, you get advantage on your next deception check for anyone who saw you do it. Yeah. Something. Anything. Crazy stuff. And don't be afraid to give your players something that makes them feel OP because you can always up the difficulty level, right? Yeah. You know? You, yeah. Or they can lose it. Yeah. Don't worry about action economy. Don't worry about all of that shit. Like, you know, if things are too easy because of abilities and stuff that they have, just increase the difficulty. Yeah. Yeah. Got to gotta keep people a little bit even, but it, it doesn't have to be balanced. As long as nobody's fallen behind. So we, it may not go live because our, our recording platform is uh, shitting the bed. But we just spent an hour and a half or so talking about a, a tabletop RPG setting that you and apparently I yes. <laughs> am going to be working on for a while. Uh, and you want to do it uh, sort of paired up with a system that you've been developing. And we had an interesting conversation this week where you were talking about a new tabletop system. And I had to ask the question, like, yours? Because you were already yes. working on something. And uh, uh, I was, I'm not sure that it's ready for prime time exactly. And it, it wouldn't, it wouldn't really be uh, riveting content, especially for people who are, are just listening. Um, but yeah, I've been, I've been playing with this idea of, of having sort of a simpler, I want to make it math simple because one of the things uh, about fifth edition that I don't like is that it's a little too, it's a little too easy to to like, okay, I have a spreadsheet of five things and this is the most optimal everything. Um, and at the same time, I don't want to go like the fourth edition route of, uh, you know, everything is the same. And every time we do combat, I have to keep track of, okay, this is plus two and that's minus one. And this is plus three and that's minus four. And this is plus seven and that's minus one. But that's minus one if he does this, but he didn't do that. So it's not minus one. It's actually plus one. So what was I at? Okay, let's start at the beginning again, right? And it's not like none of that is is difficult, but it is tedious, and there's there's a lot of stuff to keep track of. So I wanted, I wanted to. There's a couple of things that I wanted to sort of focus on. Number one is that there shouldn't be a lot of 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 like math to do. Um, it's it's not an accounting simulator. It's not a statistical you know calculator sim simulator. So the whole thing is is opposing dice rolls largely, um, but it's not roll this many dice and add them up. It's it's like risk where it's like you roll dice and I roll dice and we compare, 
and this okay so this die beats your die and that die beats my die so that's like three wins for me and two wins for you so i win um and then any bonuses are you're you're allowed to add like plus one to a single die roll right and that's the kind of level it's like plus one or minus one to a single die roll and that's kind of where the i have no idea how it maths out uh my my plan is to do hopefully some play testing over the winter and see see how that works out um i i also wanted to lean into your idea of as people become more tired as they use their abilities more as they take more damage as they're more fatigued by combat they become less effective um so i have kind of a system for that um also there's i also wanted to do something where it wasn't like you know you pick a race and then you pick a class and you have an archetype and your archetype can only do these things so it's it's more of a skill-based system where it's like when you when you get some kind of advancement you either improve a skill or you learn a new skill um, or several skills or you learn a spell or you learn a magical ability or or what have you um, one of the things that i wanted to do as well was sort of dovetail it into this setting that we were talking about earlier where like the two of them kind of go together but are easily divorced from each other or put in different places um i also wanted to do it so that i could write down all of the rules on like two sheets of paper um the idea of a role-playing <laughs> system that comes in a pamphlet instead of a 79 page hardcover manual that you need that manual in order to be a player and then two other manuals in order to be dungeon master um so that there and there's one more sort of uh i don't know call it a pillar i guess i i'm stuck on the idea of the three pillars of adventure that that uh, wizards of the coast like to talk about mm -hmm. um the other pillar here is that i i want to take a little bit of the onus of creativity for uh, for items and abilities off of the gm dm storyteller narrator whatever you want to call them and put it on the player uh, so the skill system is this when you acquire a skill or when you want to like level up and learn a skill you make up the skill you tell me what your skill does so rather than i tell you what the skills are or you look it up in a book you make something up, you get the the GM's approval. That is now a skill that you can do, and that skill gives you uh, again. If you're doing something that's related to that skill, you roll your dice pool. You get to add one to one of those dice because you're skilled in it. I want a skill called Sar Bomba. Fifty okay. megaton nuke. No. Aww. Too too powerful. You lame. Okay, so you're if you find GM. a nu <laughs> if if you find a nuclear bomb and you roll the dice for it, you're allowed to add one to one of those dice. <laughs> uh, uh, oh. So I want a communication skill. It's called Roger Roger. <laughs> uh, we're talking about doing some play tests. I, I've had my own system in development for a while. We've alluded to them a few times on this show. I've, I've talked about some of the challenges with mine recently. Um, are any of you interested in that? Like, if you are, uh, 
if you're listening on YouTube, give us a comment. Let us know how you would like to to get involved with that process. It's not something that's going to play out in podcast form, uh, whether that's live streams or just sort of big brainstorming videos or, or how maybe even getting some of you involved in actual play tests in the future. Let us know. Uh, leave a comment on YouTube, fire us an email, uh, podbag at nerding under the influence or podcast at nerding under the influence. I think I've got like nine emails that all go to the same mailbox. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. Yeah, for sure. Play is fun. So the, the next thing that we need to talk about is that are we going to start up our game again? And are you going to DM the thing and are we going to continue telling that story? Or am I going to start hosting an improv night? Tanya was asking about this a couple of weeks back. And again, like last night, actually. I don't object to, to continuing to run my game. Um, don't sound excited about it, though. No, I think. It's the challenge that almost any older D&D group faces, right? Availability, just getting everybody there. Um, you know, I don't want to be a dick about it. But we sort of ended up in a situation the last time we got our group going where it was like, there's only one day of the week that everybody is willing to commit to trying to play. And it's the one day of the week that everybody makes plans on. Yeah. The only option is Saturdays and Saturdays is the day that everybody has family commitments and, you know, crafting group commitments. And again, I'm not, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't blame Cindy for being involved in that stuff. Like that's what Saturdays are for, huh. you know? So I, I don't think if, if as a group, we're still looking at Saturday as the only option, I don't think I would want to commit to running a regular campaign. Because okay. I think that's just, it, it's going to be a lot of pick it up, put it down kind of struggle. Um, you know, you, you take two weeks off, you come back, you know, three weeks where later. We? And it's like, where were we? What were we doing? Um, right. If we, you know, and, and if that's all we can commit to, that's fine. I still want to play. I just think maybe the series of, of one shots, the smaller sort of almost going back to the, the hub style thing that we were, you were wanting to kick off where different DMS can pick up and run a game here or there. And I certainly don't mind running stuff. It just, you know, if you can't, can't commit to something reasonably regular, it's just hard to run like a, a traditional full campaign kind of thing. I, uh, yeah, you're right. <laughs> you're a hundred percent correct. You know? And, and again, uh, you know, I don't, I'm not blaming anybody. Like I say, I don't really want to be a dick about it. Um, it just, it, 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 it got tough. And because it was Saturdays, it was even tougher because that's just the day everything naturally comes up for people. You know, it's the weekend and, and it's. Other way and, and traveling, especially in the summer, summer's worse than any other time. Yeah. So, you know, uh, if, if we are open to a different day, like a, like a weeknight, any weeknight. I could probably make it work and I'm certainly open to running a full campaign, picking up where we left off. Uh, I threw it out in our group, like, Hey, what do we want the plan to be in the fall? Like, do we want to, do we want to continue what we're doing here? Do we want to try something new, 
Helson, do you want to pick a game back up? Because I know the reason that you you stopped running the game was you were going through some some job stuff, and that seems to have mostly resolved itself. So I guess yeah. that's the first question to ask. Do you want to run a game again? I kind of do. Um, I, I kind of do. I, I think, though, that I would like to, if I do, uh, if everybody's cool with that, I would actually kind of like to assign some character tropes to people. Like, I would actually like to say, you know, like, you play this. And, and the, the, I have some vague ideas, right? It would be an interesting uh, way as well to, to flesh out and play test our world. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I would be, I, I think I would be open to doing that. Uh, I, I would like to do something a little bit more, uh, a, a little bit less like super campaigny, mm-hmm. uh, like a, a little bit less. You know, okay, we're going to play these characters through the next twelve years or whatever, um, as opposed to okay, we're gonna we're gonna do it set in this world and you're, you're meeting up here for this reason. You're doing this thing. Okay, that mission is over. You know, those characters can continue, or you can swap them out. Right, like who who wants to continue playing the same character? Who wants to change? And if it's like, hey, one person wants to continue playing the same character, great. So here's how it works out: you have this mission. You're going to recruit some new people and train them to function as a an adventuring team. Uh, or hey, everybody's playing the same thing. Cool. We just roll into the next thing. Um. Yeah. So short answer: yeah, I would be open to. Because I've I've got the creative itch, as evidenced by an hour of us talking about like my you know three bullet points of world creation. <laughs> uh, I'm not really exaggerating all that much either. I think I had like three or four bullet points of things. That now I you waved to talk like about. two pages at me. Uh, yeah. Yes, they were long bullets. They were well. It was two pages of double spaced. Leave room to make notes. This is like most of those bullet points were a single word, you know. World name question mark. <laughs> uh, still, we got a lot of mileage out of that, so it was good. Yeah. Well, I think maybe throw it out to the group then. Okay. Um, Tanya, at least, and probably Cindy will listen to this. Uh, what would you like to do? I'm I'm totally in favor of you running some stuff. Um, I think I agree that maybe not the 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 campaigny type stuff makes sense, especially if we're gonna gonna be stuck kind of picking it up and and putting it down yeah. and doing the sporadic scheduling thing. Module um, level stuff. Yeah, you know, and I, and I think if we're gonna be kind of exploring our little world shit, and it's not gonna be a campaign that that. That leaves it open for like you know me to run a few sessions here and there too without yeah completely breaking things. things right like yes all right yeah put it out to the group I think uh, we have uh, oh vacation also- coming up which leads uh, basically end of October through to the third of November. Um, okay. we're going down south to see the daughter and granddaughter, which sort of leads me into the next point where my Tuesday group's on hiatus for about a month. Um, but anytime after that, I think both Tanya and I would be eager to get into something. We definitely miss getting together with our crew. We, uh, Cindy met somebody when she, cause she was, uh, in charge of the Ameliasburg world's fair 
-hmm. a couple of weeks ago. Um, and one of the people on the board is interested in playing. So I'll put it to the group as well that, you know, hey, let's try out a new guy. Add yeah. one more person. Because I think, I think, like, because we have a group of what, four? Four now that Ian isn't uh, playing. Yeah. And, and I don't think he'll be in a position to, to play for a while. So um, four was the sweet spot for me running games. I think five worked well with you running the game. I think five five is good because if somebody drops out for a week, then it's just like, okay, we'll run it with four. When you have four and one drops out, running it with three is a little tough. So we'll try it. I, who knows? Maybe he'll fit. Maybe he won't. If he doesn't fit, we'll just tell him, like, hey, you're a jerk. We don't like you. Bye-bye. It's never happened to me in real life, but we'll see. <laughs> yeah, so uh, my Tuesday group is on hiatus for a month. Uh, couple of my players have had some stuff going on, which has made making it out a little bit difficult for them. Completely understandable. Like it's a game. It's, it's not a priority over like family shit and health shit. And, um, with me going away, like I'm, I'm going to be in the middle of a 14 hour road trip on the one Tuesday. And then I have run my games from down there before. Um, but the next Tuesday is Halloween and I'll definitely be spending that with a granddaughter. So it would have made for like a three or four week block where it was just going to be spotty where it'd be like, Hey, can you guys, can we do the Wednesday instead of the Tuesday or whatever? It's like, ah, let's, let's shut it down for a month. We'll pick it up strong November. Something, something third. I don't know, whatever. That yeah. first Tuesday in November and 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 get rolling through some campaign material because I've actually had uh, a few sessions now where one of my four has not been able to attend and I've just been pushing through with three and it's actually been pretty okay. Huh? But uh, we haven't been getting into a lot of meaty sort of campaign material and, and like heavy combat stuff or anything like that. It's been a lot of social encounter stuff and, and just sort of exploration of their own personal shit but it's been fun those are some of the best best sessions you have yeah. when they go well having said that uh in the middle of the hiatus i wouldn't mind trying to run it won't be on halloween but a uh just a fun little short spooky halloweeny one shot uh not like an open one shot like i was doing before but just for my Tuesday group on another day. Uh, have you ever done any seasonal stuff? I played in a Christmas thing last year. Uh, the group that I was playing with on Sundays, uh, we we fought Krampus right right before the Christmas sort of because everybody mm -hmm. goes on hiatus over Christmas, right? Um, and it was it was interesting. I got a an, an item out of it that was. More or less, I, I think they they have something like it in WoW, where you basically you you throw a ball at somebody and they it, like they get sparkly lights and stuff and immediately start dancing. Yeah. It was kind of a, a short CC thing where it's like for three rounds they're unable to not dance or something like that. Um, so yeah, it was kind of neat, and it, it can be. I mean, it's thematic, right? It works mm -hmm. works great. Yeah, Halloween should be interesting because like so much D&D is just Halloween year round. So I think I'm yeah. going to lean into the sort of silly, silly kind of thing. Um, but I'm not not sure what I'm going to do yet or if we'll even be able to line up a day. 
but that's that's what's on the agenda. So I won't have regular game updates um, until November. Do do we actually have a pod bag? Did Ian uh, not send us a question? Ian, fucker, is he's giving me updates. He's he's touring through like Greece. Oh, uh, lucky right bugger. now. Uh, you know, with his with his 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 new love of his life, and uh, let me pull up the message here. Oh, it was the text message? He was in um, uh, Santorini. Yeah, that's the 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 one island there on the Aegean, Santorini, I think it is. Just getting up, you know, one of the touristy places you know, on a caldera, just overlooking this amazing sort of Aegean sea. He's just like, yeah, I'm doing some invoicing and catching up. You know, I'm in Santorini with a fucker. <laughs> Jealous. Uh, yeah, well, hey, life goals, right? No. I, I don't like leaving my house. I love you, man. I am a little bit jealous, but uh, no, no hard feelings about it. Couldn't, uh, couldn't happen to a better dude. Hope you're having a blast. But you're really slacking on this whole pod bag thing. <laughs> and, and because of you, we, we don't have any content. Fuck, Carlos didn't even email me this week. Oh, man. We fell off the spam train? That's terrible. Right? You know what we need to do? We, we need to challenge our wives to ask questions. I did. Actually, you know what? I, I, I have to give Tanya credit. And maybe we can work this into a bit of a pod bag thing. Okay. I was uh, trying to come up with the idea for uh, round two for the nerd fights. And, and I, I hit her about it. She was suggesting some things. And maybe this will be stuff that we explore in some future ones. The bard thing kind of came to me and I, I decided to roll with it. But. She wanted us to do uh, write our own dad jokes, nerdy dad oh. jokes, which would be fun. Would be. And she had an interesting sort of thought exercise that she said she would participate in. Oh. Um, I'm not, I don't know how well it would work with the way we're formatting the nerd fights thing, but sort of a like a castaway style survival exercise where you're on a, like an Island by yourself and you get to do X number of things. Uh, and you know, we would sort of make our plan and, and establish what our preparations would be. And then she would be randomly, well, not randomly. She would just plan her sort of like, she would be playing God in the God simulator. Right. Uh, and then it We're would populous. Yeah, it would basically be, okay, based on what sort of wrath she unleashes upon our poor, uh, poor stranded souls, it, you know, who, who survives the best, right? Like she might unleash a tsunami or, uh, you know, who knows what, right? And, and based on the preparations that we made, we would be judged on who would most likely survive the situations. I so, would build my house out of bricks, just saying. I think you could pull that off. I, I do actually know how to make bricks. Uh, I, you know what? We're gonna gonna roll parting gifts here, or not? Because my my sound doesn't want to uh, play. And I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. Anybody want to that? We'll we'll add it in post. Uh, I do. Fuck have... it. We'll do it live. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> a, a YouTube channel, speaking of making bricks, that I suggest absolutely everybody watch. Now, there's a lot of these channels out there that are fake as hell. Uh, but this guy is like the OG guy doing it. The, the channel's called Primitive Technology. Uh, he took like a two-year-long break while he was doing a TV show and writing a book or something. But it's literally a channel where this guy in, in Australia somewhere, I think Queensland area, is just out doing shit like making clay bricks and, and doing things like gathering iron, producing bacteria to try and do, you know, smelting process to, to, to turn that into iron prills so that he can make stuff and growing food. But he's like the OG person that really took off on YouTube doing it. Like he's got a bajillion subscribers, so he doesn't, doesn't need our help here in, in recommending him. Uh, but his, his delivery is interesting because he doesn't talk. Like you have to turn closed captioning on and his notes about what he's doing uh, just appear as like closed caption text while he's just sitting there banging away, making different types of uh, stoves and kilns and huts and and tools. Um, You know, everything from like stone and flint napping to uh, bow drills and and, and different ways to, to start fires and but is mesmerizing it is is so interesting and and i've watched enough of it now that i i think actually i could do all right um yeah you know, i mean it was a reasonably reasonably smart dude anyway i think i could have figured a bunch of stuff out but i've watched enough of that stuff now that like i could i could lean on that for for understanding you'd be more efficient yeah 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 i wouldn't have to to remake a lot of the mistakes other people have made I could jump right to, hey, I know this should work. Um, but knowing my wife, she would throw some things at us in that exercise. Like, you know, we'd be building houses out of bricks and she's like, yeah, but it's a 40 foot tidal wave. You know, why aren't you up in the trees? I, the trees won't help you either. If you're not on a mountain with a 40 foot tidal wave, you're yeah. already dead. You're yeah. just dead. And that's probably what would happen. And, and that'd be funny, too. Well, the point is not do you die. It's like how soon do you die? It's like a zombie apocalypse. We did that sort of thought exercise, right? Like how long would you survive in a a zombie apocalypse? How far do you think you could surf a 40-foot tsunami wave before you were dead? I I think about eight inches. (laughs) I'm I'm pretty sure, you know the the joke about like uh, you stand on one leg for the drunk test. It's a... uh, Ron White joke from Blue Collar Comedy. It's like you you stand on one leg and count to ten. I got to whoa, <laughs> right? That's about how far I'd get surfing a tsunami before I died. I got yeah. to okay, so I got to push up and get onto my whoops. I'm drowned. <laughs> uh, speaking of primitive technology, it's not really primitive technology, but it's definitely a, a handcraft. Have you ever watched uh, the 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 way that the uh, traditional Japanese wood joinery. Mm-hmm. Oh man, that stuff, that stuff is like carpentry porn. It is, it is so clever and like not even just the standard sort of like furniture making kind of joinery, but like I've seen videos of guys doing just sort of complex engineering puzzles basically to build things like bridges over over streams and stuff that can support the weight of like a horse and there's no no fasteners no glue no anything it is just there might be a peg somewhere 
Yeah, but it is it is it is all wood and and brain power and cleverness and and tons and tons of experience probably passed down through generations. To be fair, some of the wood that they use is very very nice wood. Oh, that's that's not, you know, doesn't change it for me like what they're doing no is just, it's still amazing i don't the, the, i don't mean to take anything away i just you can't you couldn't for example cut down pine trees and do this it wouldn't work no no but like it's the precision and yeah. and patience like you know it isn't a fast thing like you know you'll you'll watch them do this weird sort of joint that like we don't have a name for you know, like, what do we have? Like four joints <laughs> that we uh, use, like between your, your miners half, and box. And, and then basically a, a combination a of those with things stuck in the middle. Right. Like, yeah. We, the, oh, these are like custom built things that go like, and you've got like a connection of four pieces of wood. Yeah. And you they put them like, together, put one pin in and it, it's like stronger than the original tree. Imagine like a, a puzzle, like an old school puzzle. Right funny shapes that all fit together now make it three dimensions yes and that's basically what you have these these complex shapes that are all meant to slide into each other but it's not just joining two pieces often it's three or four and they all kind of fill this yep. space and and they're just they're carving these shapes out just with hand tools and chisels and saws and it is mesmerizing it's magic. I, I, i'm not patient enough to ever do it no, me either. I, I want no. to be. I mean, I would love to be. Yeah, Maybe that I've, needs to I've, be nerd you know, fight number three. I'll uh, uh, give me a miter joint and maybe I'll stick a biscuit or a domino in it or something. You know, throw some dowel in it with good enough. I just, you, but I just, I just use epoxy. It's strong enough. <laughs> it is not strong enough. I've been watching, uh, uh, going through all the Forged in Fire. Uh, have you ever watched that show? Um, no, I think I've seen, like, I, I've heard of it. I, I know yeah. of it. I don't think I've ever watched it. Yeah, I mean, it's like you're, you're almost like your cooking competition style thing, but for, for forging blades and weapons. And uh, I think I'm in season eight now. Um, I've seen highlights oh, wow. of some of the later seasons, but it's sort of the weekend, get up in the morning while Tanya's still sleeping, hang out with a dog on the couch and a cup of coffee and knock off a couple episodes routine. I would really, really, really love to have a forge. I'm not sure that I could physically even hammer on steel, but I'd love to have one. It's always been it's, a dream. Yeah, it is. It hasn't always been a dream for me, but it's been a recent one. I'm, I'm, I'm very, very quickly turning into an old man, like <laughs> with an interest in woodworking and stuff that I would have laughed at myself even eight years ago for, for you know, that's the step, stuff my grandfather did. Like you'll yep. never be interested in that. You're just gonna play Baldur's Gate 17 and and and, and listen to rock and and yep, you know, play D and D and shit. But now I'm like, you know, I could build a table. All of the stuff that you thought was hardcore when you were a kid is easy listening now, and it's in the classics bin for a dollar ninety nine on eight track. <sighs> Fuck, we're old. Yeah, getting there. Well, hey, that's uh, that's another episode uh, wrapped up. It's uh, a long one. Anybody else, since Ian's dropping the ball, if you'd like to submit uh, a question for the pod back, 
but we'd love to hear from you. Uh, if you have something, maybe a user-recommended parting gift, we'd love to hear from you too. Email address is podbag at nerdingundertheinfluence.com. Hit us up. We're desperate. Oh, please, God, ask us a question. Thanks, Ian. Yeah.